Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Quorum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Recovery. A lot of people that exercise are interested in post-workout recovery, and there's tons of bad information out there. And so one of the things we've been doing at AIM7 is we've been trying to create these documents or these blogs on our website that are sources of truth. And we have some amazing folks on our team that have PhDs and should know how to read the scientific literature. And so what we do is we go, okay, like we did one for accuracy of wearable technology. People use these devices. How accurate are they? Not how accurate do the companies say they are, but how accurate are they in regards to the peer-reviewed literature that is non-biased, or at least to the extent that we know that it's not biased? Like, for instance, if a device says that it can measure sleep stages, when it's reporting on that, is it really accurate? Well, the answer is no, and you shouldn't really be indexing on that. As a matter of fact, even Aura, which I think is a wonderful device, on their site, the paper that they cite for the accuracy of their sleep staging is only 79% accurate. Now, for understanding when you went to bed, when you woke up, your duration, it's phenomenal. So those are really important things to understand. So we created a new blog titled How to Maximize Your Post-Workout Recovery. Dr. Susie Reiner helped create this along with myself and some other folks. She did a wonderful job on this. I'll actually probably want to bring her on the podcast sometime to interview her, but she's a a fantastic exercise physiologist. So I'm not going to go over every single detail in this blog because it's a resource that we'll be updating monthly, but we broke it down into the categories of nutrition, supplements, sleep, cold exposure, heat exposure, massage, and we'll be adding other things. In the context of massage, that include compression garments, foam rolling. We'll add some new things in the future, I think, that are going to be pretty exciting to discuss. But let's start with sleep. The most important thing you can do for exercise recovery is to sleep. It's your body's natural mechanism for adaptation for both your brain and your body. When you sleep, things like growth hormone and insulin-like growth factor are released, which enhances muscle recovery. There's actually some literature that shows that people who sleep less than eight hours a night, this was actually adolescent athletes who slept less than eight hours a night, who are engaged in sports, had a 1.7 times greater risk of sports-related injuries. There needs to be more literature on this for the adult population, but I would say that chronically being sleep-deprived probably has similar impact on adult athletes. Why? Because of compromised nervous system, neuromuscular function, coordination, psychomotor vigilance, all these things that could lead to an injury. Dr. Reiner did an amazing job of creating a recovery continuum for the blog that shows how different interventions impact the recovery of your central nervous system versus muscle recovery and how things like balance, nutrition, sleep, physical activity and exercise kind of span this continuum. So the first thing I want to talk about as an overview, I'm not going to go into details of all of these things. I just want to highlight some things that you may find useful so that you can go and know how to use this resource. The first thing is, is nutrition. This is probably one of the hottest topics as people talk about protein and post-workout recovery, carbs, how much fluid should I take in? So I'm just going to cover one of these macronutrients, which is protein. In general, to maintain muscle mass and muscle protein synthesis, so you're not going into a deficit, you're sparing muscle protein, you should be taking in 1.2 to 
to 1.6 grams per kilogram per day. So for me, I'm roughly 218 pounds. So just rounding, it's like 120 to 160 grams of protein per day. Now, post-workout protein consumption, 20 to 25 grams is what's typically recommended. However, if you're an older adult, you may want to take in 30 to 40 grams. If you're wanting to maintain muscle mass while in a caloric deficit, so let's say you're dieting, you're probably going to want to bump your protein intake up. So you're going to want to increase it to 2.3 to 3.1 grams per kilogram per day. So we talk about carbohydrate. We also talk about water and different fluids for post-workout recovery. Now let's talk about supplements. I mean, this is a multi-multi-billion dollar industry. I should probably look up how many billions this is worth because this is where people just, I think, go off the rails. They're thinking pills are going to solve the problem or are going to make the biggest difference when really the most important things to focus on are your training, your sleep, and then general nutrition and fluid intake. However, there are some things that can make a significant difference. One of those is creatine, and you have heard me talk about this before. It is the most well-researched supplement ever. It has been demonstrated to be an ergogenic aid. It actually can improve performance. But creatine can also improve post-workout recovery. Actually, it's been demonstrated to reduce plasma creatine kinase levels by up to 84% following significant training sessions. And creatine kinase is a marker for muscle damage. Without going into all the details on supplementation, which there is an episode, I'll put a link in the show notes for an episode with uh, Pratik Patel just on creatine. Generally speaking, if you want to reduce muscle damage post-workout and improve faster recovery, improve strength, power output, all the wonderful things that creatine can do for you, Five grams of creatine four times daily for five to seven days would be kind of like a loading dose that you want to use or 0.3 grams per kilogram of body weight four times a day. Or you could just take three to five grams every single day. It's going to take a little bit longer time to saturate the muscle, but it may take almost a month to do that. But that's what I do. I just take five grams a day. I don't try to overthink it. Tart cherry juice is also another, you can call it supplement. That has been demonstrated to reduce muscle breakdown and soreness following a workout. The recommended dose is 500 milligrams post-workout or twice a day. And there's some literature that demonstrates that tart cherry juice is good for sleep quality. It can increase melatonin levels if you have one cup of tart cherry juice an hour before bed. Now, you're also taking in a bunch of sugar when you do that. I don't know if that's the best idea before you go to bed, but it's worth taking a look into. The next thing I want to talk about is cold exposure for recovery. Now, there has been just a massive amount of stuff online about cold plunges and ice baths and should I be doing cryotherapy and all this kind of stuff. To me, this is the last thing that you should be focusing on, this and saunas for recovery. Not everybody has access to this. I don't have access to it. So on a consistent basis, I have to go to LA Fitness if I want to get into a sauna, for instance. I don't have access to a cold tub all the time. When it gets cold outside, I can take cold showers in the morning just because it wakes me up. But this is like a half of a 1% of something that's actually going to make a difference. You should be focused on sound training methodologies, plenty of sleep, good nutrition, taking care of your mental health. All those things are going to help speed up recovery. However, these are very popular. And cold water immersion has been demonstrated to be effective in reducing muscle soreness and expediting recovery of muscle 
power and flexibility if you have limited time for other more traditional recovery methods. I'll tell you in a second how I used this when I was in the NFL and college football. However, if your goal is to build muscle, cold exposure may blunt muscle protein synthesis when performed immediately after strenuous exercise on a consistent basis. Cold water immersion after resistance training workouts have been shown to reduce muscle protein synthesis rates by 11% over two weeks. And this has to do with uh, blunting the mTOR pathway, which we don't really need to get into, but you can dive into the literature if you want. The way that I use this when I was working with athletes consistently is during off season, man, like let the body do what it's supposed to do from a recovery perspective. Let there be an inflammatory response train, focus on the nutrition, the sleep, and all that kind of stuff, because you want to get the most benefit out of your training. However, when it comes to in-season, or you're coming at the end of a training camp and you're trying to freshen yourself up, I use these things as what I like to call silver bullets to help the athletes feel better and to help prepare them for peaking, or I would use it after a really difficult football game when everybody's sore and banged up because it would help with the perception of pain. So if you go into the blog, you'll get how to use these different modalities, the optimal time, the benefits, and the optimal temperature. Now let's go to heat exposure. I personally love the sauna. I love the sauna, specifically the dry sauna, because the way that it makes me feel... There's also some really good literature on it actually extending longevity. Why? Because if you get in a hot enough sauna for long enough, you're sweating a lot. What happens when you sweat a lot? You lose blood volume. What happens when blood volume goes down? Uh, Your heart has to beat faster. So it's basically like you're sitting there getting some low intensity aerobic exercise. So a dry heat sauna does promote relaxation through heat stress. Similar to cold exposure, intense short-term heat exposure activates your sympathetic nervous system, resulting in increased heart rate, skin blood flow, cardiac output, and sweating, like I mentioned. It's considered a eustress or a positive stress to the body. It helps bring the autonomic nervous system back to equilibrium as you cool off from the session. So the heat also draws your attention away from aches and pains. So a lot of people that as they age love to get into these saunas. There's like whole culture, sauna cultures. It's been going on for hundreds of years. People with low back pain have reported a 40% reduction in pain perception, 33% improvement in quality of life following twice daily 15-minute sauna session in only one week. That's pretty amazing. So you can go to the resource. You can get some very specific protocols for that. The last thing I want to cover is compression garments. When I went to Australia for the first time in 2010, I was working with an Australian rules football team and the athletes were wearing these compression garments post-game. I had never seen that before. We actually brought it back to Florida State. Our players would get these garments after every game. The mechanical pressure can increase blood flow to specific areas in the body by more than 200%, delivering more oxygen and nutrients There's no harm to using this. However, it can get a little bit sweaty, so you want to make sure that you're using the right compression garments. We have a whole chart or a whole table in here on compression boots, massage guns, foam rollers, massage in general. So we created this resource for you so you have a source of truth, and we'll be updating this consistently, and this is just to benefit y'all. So please use it and share it with somebody that you know that really is into exercise or post-workout recovery or loves cold plunges and saunas. And this really kind of cuts through all the noise and gives them the facts on how they can use these things. Thanks again for listening. And I'll catch you on the next episode. 